Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Eric is the SVP of Global Operations at Ripple. He has 20 years of leadership experience in the business development, strategic planning, and business operations in corporate development areas. Prior to joining Ripple, Eric has held senior positions in high-growth startups and Fortune 500 companies, including Adobe, Yahoo, Hightail, Red Swoosh, Work.com, and Excite.home.com. He's also known for his extensive experience in solving complex business problems and executing strategies that help technology companies systematically accelerate growth. He's also lived in the Bay Area for 25 years, so he's seen the entire startup ecosystem happen and the maturity of the, that whole system. So, Eric, welcome to the Second Command podcast. Hey, Cameron. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, Excite, that was when, like, 98, 99? Yeah, I, I um, joined. Actually, Excite at Home was the merger of both Excite and at Home. I started on the at-home side. I joined in 97. 97. Okay. I remember we were, we were buying banner ads back then, I think, on, on some of your properties way yeah. back when. Yeah. Old school. A long time ago. So yeah. tell, tell us really briefly about Ripple so we understand what Ripple is, and then we'll dive into some of the background. Sure, absolutely. So you know, Ripple's a fintech company, and we provide a software solution to financial institutions. That could be banks, payment providers, money service businesses, where we leverage blockchain technology to help them send money cross-border. So, you know, cross-border payments far more efficiently uh, than they can using the kind of legacy technology. So if you think about uh, a personal experience where you're sending money as sort of a remittance to a friend or colleague overseas, or even a, uh, a small, medium business up to a large enterprise, sending money cross-border tends to uh, be incredibly difficult, far more so than you'd, you'd realize on the surface. And part of that stems from the fact that uh, we're still using technology that is decades and decades old, really even pre-internet. Uh, and we, we've come in with a different approach. We leverage blockchain technology, uh, and our customers are these banks and financial institutions, and we deploy that software. And once they have that, they are able to see uh, far faster, cheaper, and more reliable uh, cross-border payment experiences than they uh, have historically. Okay. Tell us, um, with, with Ripple itself, what's the size of your operation in terms of number of employees or where you're operating? Are you all, re are you remote? Is it one centralized team for the most part? Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're a little, well, quite distributed actually. So we're based uh, here in our headquarters in San Francisco. Um, we have about 360 and counting people around the world. Uh, I'd say about two thirds of those are here in, in San Francisco, but we have offices in London, Singapore, uh, Mumbai, uh, Sao Paulo, Dubai, um, New York. So we're actually quite distributed. And that's largely a function of the fact that our business, to my earlier point, is it's about helping people move money across borders. There's no, um, there's no domestic version of Ripple. You, you know, there's mm -hmm. a US-centric version. So as a result, we've needed to get closer to the markets we serve, get closer to our customers, understanding the regulatory environment, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the partner prospects, the media relations, et cetera, et cetera. So we've actually made a concerted effort over the last several years to open up those, those businesses around the world and, and uh, you know, achieve that intimacy with the market. And Ripple was one of the biggest kind of ICOs in the last bunch of years, wasn't it? 
or, no. or was it was it an ICO? Yeah, it's, that's a that's a common misperception. So it, it wasn't an ICO. I think there's I mean, one thing maybe to, to clarify is there's oftentimes confusion between Ripple, which is the company I work for, and we produce the software solution that I just described, and a digital asset called XRP. Okay. XRP, uh, not unlike um, Bitcoin or Ethereum, is a you know it's a digital asset that's that's run on top of a distributed, decentralized, permissionless blockchain. Um, that blockchain is called the XRP Ledger. There's common uh, roots in terms of the the folks that actually created the XRP Ledger are the same people that later created the company Ripple. And uh, in that process, Ripple happens to hold quite a bit of XRP. Um, but we we actually never went through uh, a a kind of ICO process, that, which was all the rage a couple of years ago. Um, uh, we're very distinct and separate. The company is very distinct and separate from that digital asset. Okay, so, but sim- so there is some similar ownership or core ties in, but but not an ICO in terms of its launch. Correct. Okay, makes sense. Um, and actually, it's weird. I'm friends with the um, the the parents of the founder of Ethereum, Dimitri's parents, which are um, sorry, uh, Vitalik's parents, Dimitri okay. and R- Maria, and I are friends. We're in a mastermind together. So I'm really curious about the the. Um, you talked about moving currency between countries. I'm really curious about what it's like moving ideas between countries with the people that you have in, you, you mentioned Mumbai and London and Singapore and Dubai. Those were the four that I, and Sao Paulo. What's it like with working with different leaderships in different countries? And what do you think they're doing better in some of these countries or regions than we are in North America? And what are they doing differently? You know, it's a great question. Actually, it's, it's a lot of what I spend my time working on. So part mm-hmm. of my role is, is what I, you know, a subset of, of global operations, I, I call it international operations. And it's, you know, it's identifying our, our target markets where we want to launch these new entities. Uh, you know, we started in Mumbai launching an, an Indian entity about two and a half years ago. I hired a country manager there. Uh, he's, his remit has expanded through all of South Asia. And, you know, we saw a lot of success, repeated that in Sao Paulo, Dubai, as mentioned. We had an office in Singapore and we have for, little over two years and I'm now adding somebody to be our head of Southeast Asia based out of Singapore. So it's, I think it's, it's a, um, a fantastic asset and luxury to have folks that really are intimate with the market. They understand everything from the specifics of how the payments world works in their part of the world, but also just the, the cultural sensitivities and realities. I think one, one error I know I made earlier in my career was you go in and you, you, don't mean to, but you can't help but almost impose your way of doing things, sort of the American style of business in other cultures. And it doesn't, it just doesn't play that way. So you, you have to kind of stay, take a little bit of a step back. And I think what we're getting better as a company, back to your, your question of sharing ideas, is, is making sure that we, we take full advantage of the fact these folks are in the field. They, they're, they're all domain experts in payments uh, of some sort. That's why we hired them. But also, as they get up to speed on what Ripple can do, they added kind of a really unique perspective. And they, they can be a source of uh, new ideas that you know, we, can, we can then uh, propagate around the world. So, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes it's, it's, it's very purposeful. And it sounds like we were brilliant and smart. The strategy works. And other times... You know, you happen to run into things. We we um, we're having great success in South America, for example, and we targeted that along with many other regions. We sold a few customers, and you know, after being there for a while, we have a large fraction of the payments that are running over RippleNet, which is this 
global network that we're creating with all these financial institutions, a lot of uh, a large fraction are touching um, on Brazil specifically, but South America more generally. And we're learning the pain points associated with with moving money in and out of that part of the world um, are acute. And you know, our our solution, while it's effective globally, it's even more pronounced the degree to which we can make an impact in Brazil. And so we're really leaning into that. You know, we're, we're investing more um, and we're seeing it as a, um, a place where we can try out some new ideas and, and other product offerings. So it's, um, I think it's, <laughs> when you're moving fast and you have people all, all around the world, oftentimes your native instinct is to, is to, is to, to tell, it's to inform and keep people up to date, try to create a unified culture. It's also so important to listen. And, and yeah, so to tell, curious, like give us some specific examples of what, how does a leader manage differently in Sao Paulo and Brazil than they would in Mumbai or than they would in, in Dubai? Or how do they recruit differently? Or how do they solve conflicts differently? Like what are some things that you've done? Wow, that's really unique. Like I, uh, one example I had, I've been to India four times working with CEOs over there and um, they hire 10 people to solve one problem, you know, because they, they can just hire so many at such mm -hmm. a low cost. But, you know, in Thailand, they they would never tell the superior anything wrong. It, it's they, they it's all about saving face, and um, you know they almost bow down every time they talk to a superior. What do you see that's different that we could learn from that? that yeah, no, I, I think in South America, for example, there's a there's a different pace, and and you know developing that relationship in a certain way. You can come in. Um, and I'll stereotype as an American, so for hard charging, you figure if you have the best product and a, 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 a real tight pitch from a commercial standpoint, you just want to get right to closing the deal and making it happen. And mm. the, the, the pace at which you develop a relationship, I think, varies around the world. Uh, you know, I see not, I mean, our folks that work at Ripple around the world are all incredibly diligent and hardworking, but there is a, a different cadence that I see evolving in, in, in different areas. India, to your point, the, the, the drive and the push and the work ethic is, uh, is incredible. And there is the ability to put more cycles against it uh, and, and maybe a little bit more of a directness, at least in terms of the folks that we're, we're dealing with. Um, you know, we have a, a fantastic joint venture partner in Japan, for example, uh, a company called SBI Holdings. And there, there's definitely a hierarchy and, and a process that you mm. have to be respectful of. And, and um, again, you, sometimes you, you, you can't help but fall back on your, uh, your, your natural instincts of, of, of doing things a certain way. And you quickly realize, oh, wait a second, I, they, they, they seem to like what I said. The, the product solved their needs, and yet I haven't heard from them. And it's a matter of, no, oh, it's all fine. You just have to go back and spend some more time and maybe mm -hmm. have a go. And it's, it's, it's just being... Um, attuned to that, and, and I'll, I'll confess, I don't pretend to be an expert on how that cultural reality plays out around the world, but you know, hiring people that do, that are, 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 are credible locally, and then also um, making sure to listen to them, and not just, if something isn't going right in a part of the world, you can't just assume, well, I'm gonna tell them how we do it here, and sort of impose that perspective. You have to say, well, wait a second, I hired these folks for a reason. They're, right. they're, they're infinitely smarter around how business works in that part of the world and let them, let them do their job. Yeah. So it's a, it's a bit of a, um, a balance. Do you, do you move people around from countries to country or is it pretty much hiring people locally in their countries and keeping them and growing within? Yeah, that's a great, great and really timely question because we're just reaching a part 
a point in our company where we're starting to do that. For example, I'll speak personally. Back in um, January, I, I put myself on assignment. So I, I, uh, I moved for five months to Singapore. Uh, we had a small but growing office in, in Southeast Asia. Uh, and there's so much change happening in, in payments and with fintechs in that part of the world. I said, I, I need to eat my own dog food. So mm. my wife and I packed up on January 1st. We got a plane and um, you know, landed in Singapore and spent the next five months there, which was a fantastic Whoa, crazy to you know, um, meet the team and support them. Uh, meet our partners, our customers, and witness firsthand the pace of change going on in the region. Uh, and uh, you know, we're actually starting to to push on that that a little bit more. There's another woman who's going to be moving from our our headquarters and spending six months uh, in another office. And I've been working. Once I got back, I got a renewed I shouldn't say renewed an, an augmented uh, passion around sort of mobility mobility programs. Yeah. And, at one level, you say you're a 350 person company. You know, you're you're just you're just at that stage where you're trying to make sure you keep all plates spinning in the air and not letting them fall. But it, it's a great time to start developing that habit of uh, allowing people to be more more mobile. And the benefit of cross pollinating, I think, is is huge. So we're we're at the cusp of it. You know, when we talk in a year, hopefully, I'll be able to tell you a lot. <laughs> How, how many people were uh, were at Ripple when you joined about three years ago? About 120. So I 120. Think. So you've kind of tripled in terms of the the head count. Yeah. Has has revenue been similar? Yeah, we don't we don't go into specific um, numbers, but I mean, you think about it. We're, the core thing we track is is how well we're doing in growing this network, RippleNet. Yeah. Um, we had a handful. I don't, I don't even remember the exact number. We had a, a handful, let's say less than 20 uh, production contracts signed with financial institutions when I joined. And we announced earlier this year, we crested 200 uh, production contracts in place. Um, and we now have, whereas when I joined, we hadn't yet really been operational in terms sure. of helping um, uh, financial institutions move money over our network. You know, I, I think I saw the stats recently. There's over $3 billion have been moving over RippleNet in aggregate since I've been here. So still a relatively small drop in the bucket when you're talking about global cross-border payments. Yeah, but huge, huge growth to, to manage. Yeah, yeah. Get so in, the, in that growth, I had, I had lunch um, about a year ago with uh, Clay Mass, the founder of Infusionsoft, and then I was reading some stuff that Ben Horowitz had written in terms of leadership's ability to scale. And it talked about mid to senior level managers find it, it's hard for them to go through two doubles in terms of revenue or headcount, and it's tough for them to go through one triple. How have you managed that and how are you managing and, and kind of growing people through those transition points? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, great, a great question. I mean, we, we, I think we've been somewhat uh, proactive just in terms of, of really creating a, a discipline around learning and development here at, at Ripple. Again, you could say for a company of our size, that seems to be a little a little premature, but, but I think we anticipated the growth. So, so, um, and we're creating forums where, where the folks at that level. So it's kind of the, the key lieutenants to the senior leadership team. And that, that's super important, um, mid to upper mid tier of management, um, have a chance to interact with each other. It's given we're relatively distributed around the world. These folks don't always have 
a, a sort of a, a impromptu opportunities to get together. So right. we, we do, I think it's now twice a year where we bring that team together in one place and, and hold like multiple day offsites. Um, some of it's skill development, but a lot of it is just frankly making sure that they get a chance to Connect. know and have that shared experience. And I think um, we see dividends paid and you see these connections forming and you know, some issues that maybe would take a lot longer to get resolved. People, you know, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, right? You, you make sure that those bonds are formed and there's sort of a common, uh, common empathy formed. Yeah. And yeah. dividends. I think, you know, as with a lot of companies, there are people that are great. And I've seen this not only Ripple, but in, in, in past lives that are great at that you know, zero to one stage, but aren't as uh, impactful or don't even enjoy it as much going from, you know, one to 100 or 100 to 1,000. And, and so um, I think a lot of those folks self-select and they're on, they want to do the next startup where they're employee number four. Um, and then others really love the journey, right? And they love the growth that, that comes with it and a new set of challenges and they, they're well suited to it. And we, we find those people and we nurture them and, um, you know, we're thrilled that, that uh, you know, they still find Ripple an exciting place to be. For sure. Curious on, on the tech side and, um, and women. I mean, it's been tough in the last number of years, women in the technology sector, they're getting a bigger voice finally. It seems like we're, but you know, today I saw an article that Forbes just came out with the top 100 innovative thinkers and one woman on the list of 100, which is they're going to get just yeah. decimated in the media for releasing that, which they should. How, how are women doing in the, in the global markets in, in leadership? And are they... Um, I mean, India's always had a problem with it. Are they being accepted more? Are they, be, is, are they catching up with North America there? What's going on in that side? Yeah, I think, I mean, we, I mean your point, Cameron, is uh, super, super uh, warranted. I think in tech in general, we've, we've done a, a, a far less than stellar job of, of making sure there's the right representation of, uh, of women and, frankly, diversity in general uh, amongst uh, our leadership. And, and certainly it's a focus of ours here. Uh, you know, about a third to, I don't know, third to 40 percent of the folks at, at Ripple overall are, are women. And, you know, it is a priority as we think about recruiting. Um, you know, amongst our leadership team, we have uh, several, one, two, three, four members of leadership are, 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 are female. Would you have a similar percentage globally? Um, that's a great question. I, I, I probably say yes and i'm doing that more from memory than having any any stats that i've seen recently i'd almost guess like yes more in singapore yes more in sao paulo no more in like india yes more in dubai yeah i mean i'm trying to think uh, Maybe, i don't know actually correct um having spent time in singapore i know we definitely uh the mix in that office is is is, is healthy um, the team in Sao Paulo, as an example, is still really small, so the sample size isn't really big enough for me to feel sure. like it's representative. Uh, you know, we have a couple handful of, of, of women on our team in India, so uh, I think that's probably directionally correct. You know, in our London office, New York office, San Francisco office, I think we're we're certainly much more well represented. Yeah, yeah, it's an it's just an interesting time. I'm, I'm, I I love the global. Um, questions just because we don't get that much exposure to it as North American companies. And I've, um, I, I kind of, whenever I can, can be around it and learn from it, I love kind of pulling any insights I can. So what's changing in the, in the technology or tech sector right now in terms of, especially in the Bay area with recruiting, it seems like it's a bloodbath down there and the ability to try to attract and retain talent. Everybody just is 
you know, pay more, pay more. Is that changing at all or how do you? It's still a challenging market. I mean, especially if you're talking about engineers, the, there's a ton of demands and, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of capital that's been infused in, into this market and people are able to, and therefore willing to, to dig into their pockets and, and, and pay up. So, you know, is it changing? You know, more and more companies are looking for other places beyond Silicon Valley, certainly to, to locate tech teams. And, um, you know, you, you see some of that maybe rationalized a little bit, but, you know, we're fortunate enough to be in a position where, where Ripple is in an incredibly interesting industry and incredibly interesting point of time. Uh, we're probably the only enterprise blockchain company that actually has a commercial product that is in production and up and running. Uh, you know, we're very focused on a particular use case and that's this cross-border payments uh, challenge that uh, I think people uh, almost unanimously believe is, is a real pain point and we have a solution that addresses it. So we're able to, to uh, you know, offer some pretty compelling uh, business challenges mm -hmm. and challenges to employees. And I think as a result, we're seeing great, um, you know, we're seeing great interest in, in joining Ripple. As you know, you mentioned we've grown 3X since I've been here in a little, uh, it's a little under three years. And even this year, you know, our growth is, is going to be substantial. But that's not to say we, you know, we don't have a lot of open recs and, and don't want more people uh, uh, checking us out because there's, uh, there, there's lots to be done. And um, I don't, I mean, to answer your, your specific question, I don't see it changing anytime. Yeah. I think you touched on one, which is a lot of companies are looking to open offices outside of the Bay Area finally as well. Like I have a friend who's got a client or he's a um, technology company based in uh, Cincinnati or Cleveland. Mm -hmm. It's Cincinnati. No, it's Indianapolis, it's Indianapolis. And he's got like a couple hundred employees there now. And he's just like, you know what? I was from here and I thought I'd run a company from here. And I found out that a lot of really smart people moved away and they wanted to come home. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Makes, makes sense. sense, right? Um, what about growing, growing people? I mean, as you've, as you've scaled the company, you've gone from the 100 to 320 employees. What have you had to do as a company to grow your team? Where do you focus on the... I call it the soft skills, but where do you guys focus on growing your leadership team and managers? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, I don't know if there's any one, one formula I'd point to. You know, I, I think it's, it's being able to engage and, and uh, identify some of the folks you think are, are well-suited to, you know, move to the next level and then investing time there wisely. Uh, I, I, I referenced this uh, this real effort on on that uh, kind of second tier of leadership, and we've made investments there to to really uh, you know double down, if you will, on on, on growing them. Uh, you know, and we have a whole variety of of um, programs, everything informal, like lunch and learns, where people can get smarter on new topics. Uh, we we have a you know a program where we will pay people. Uh, if they're interested in learning a new skill, be it formally, like take a class to code in another language, et cetera, et cetera, or, or simply go to a conference uh, to build their, you know, build their personal network, which obviously is an important aspect and asset to have as you move forward. So I, I don't know if there's any one particular approach. Um, we, we obviously uh, love promoting from within. Uh, this, you know, our space is relatively new, and once mm -hmm. been here and invested a couple of years to get that sort of domain expertise. That's a, it's a pretty scarce commodity, right? There aren't yeah, for sure. 
doing blockchain cross-border payments for 10 years. People have been doing payments. There's been people who are doing fintech, but um, you know, we love the opportunity to, to kind of nurture and promote from within. The good news is that we are, are growing quickly, that the challenges are, um, are plentiful. So there's lots of interesting, meaty problems, both business and technical, that we can put you know, talented, aggressive people against. And so um, it's nice in that we don't have to search high and low for the next challenge for somebody. Uh, it's, it's usually right in front of them, and, and you'll actually see the folks rise to the occasion and proactively take that challenge without even us necessarily pointing them at it. And we're, we're nothing but supportive when that happens. How about um, funding? How are you guys funded? So um, we are funded both from sort of the traditional venture route. Uh, we've raised a little over $90 million in, in venture capital. Um, early days back in our seed rounds from some more kind of traditional Valley names like uh, Google Ventures or GV or whatever they're calling themselves these days <laughs> in Horowitz. Uh, you know, beyond that, we're really proud to, to, that some of our early customers, um, large financial institutions like Standard Charter or Santander, wanted to participate in our, our, our second round of funding. So nice. um, that's really, uh, really exciting. And, and I think underscores the fact that we're on something and they want to be along for the ride in more than just the capacity of a customer. Beyond that, we, as I mentioned, we do hold a significant amount of this digital asset called XRP. And we will, um, on occasion, we will sell some of that into the market. Um, that one generates some incremental funding for us, but it also helps create more liquidity in the whole ecosystem, this, the ecosystem for that digital asset. And I won't get into the weeds in terms of how some of our products work, but having um, liquidity in markets around the world for XRP is a big part of what will make our products over time successful. So sure. it serves a, serves a dual purpose. And creates a little more velocity in that supply. The, um, what do you focus on day to day? Well, it's a, it's a variety of things. I wish I could focus on one thing every day. <laughs> But, you know, I think there's two core elements. One, I, uh, I have a, a business operations team. And uh, at our core, you know, we're, we're there to try to ensure that the, the communication and focus, especially across the leadership team, is crisp and that we don't get easily distracted by all the other things that, that could happen in our, in, our, uh, in our space, in our company. So uh, tactically, we, we, we run our weekly leadership uh, staff meeting. Uh, we do quarterly business reviews, which the name probably is somewhat self-explanatory. And we, we hold twice a year, you know, multi-day leadership offsites. So all, you know, it's sort of the cadence of communication to make sure that that team is really in sync aligned and staying focused on the things that we've identified as our top priorities. Um, and that's probably especially critical given that we are this international company. Uh, some of our senior leaders are not in San Francisco, and so we don't have as much time to, you know, to see them in the halls and just catch up. So having a predictable uh, cadence of, of meetings and communication is really important. Um, beyond that, that team also, my business operations team, either champions or inherits other sort of cross cross-functional initiatives that we drive. They don't fit neatly into any one function. Ripple as a company is functionally organized, you know, head of sales, head of marketing, head of engineering, CFO, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we try to jump in and, and play that role of, of uh, 
I guess a little bit of utility infielder, uh, if you will, to make sure that we're giving the right level of senior attention on, on problems. So I spent a good chunk of my day helping to manage that initiative uh, or that set of initiatives. Beyond that, um, you know, having a team that is geographically distributed. I'm, I'm on the phone a lot, sometimes, you know, early morning on the drive in or late at night on the drive home, uh, just trying to make sure that we are staying in sync as a team, uh, understanding where the opportunities and the issues lie around the world and trying to figure out where best we can kind of double down our attention and investment to, to take advantage of that. And that could range from issues related to, you know, customers could be, um, you know, are obviously moving money around the world is, is, is highly regulated. So we work with regulators around the world and make sure we're compliant and they understand what we're doing. Um, so it's really kind of a, a broad array of, of topics and depending on the day uh, can vary, vary quite very, a bit. Really. Yeah. Tell us about the, um, the, your business area reviews, bar meetings. So what makes a really good business area review meeting? Yeah. So we do, as I said, we do QBRs every, every quarter. I think that, you know, they're, they're part just, Hey, it's, it's, it's not a super complicated formula. So what, what um, each senior leader is asked to do is what did you promise you were going to do in the prior quarter? Um, what did you do? You know, how did you do against your, 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 your stated OKRs, so to speak? What did you learn as a result? You know, both, both positive lessons and you know, tough lessons. And therefore, what are you going to do next quarter? And then we, we also make sure to have, you know, a conversation about how the team is doing, who are the stars, are there any challenges? Are there any cultural things we need to fix? So it, it, it's, it, those are kind of meant to be, or, or that sequence of questions is meant to really tee up conversations. I think the, the real compelling, um, meaningful, impactful uh, quarterly business reviews are ones where you're not just kind of rotely going through a set of facts and figures. Sure. People's eyes kind of glaze over. But it's where you're, you're, you're having real authentic conversations about, about both both opportunities and things you, you want to lean into, but also challenges and being intellectually honest about what's going on, realizing we're all, we're all probably facing similar things in our different slices of the company and trying to get the collective wisdom, if you will, of the, 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 the team around the table to see how we can do better going forward. So do the do business areas challenge each other at those meetings or is it more leadership challenging each business area in front of the rest? Um, you know, it's, it's usually the, the, so that the meetings that we have, those, those core business reviews are, are just among leadership. Um, okay. we will invite, uh, kind of guest speakers in if there's, we're deep diving on a particular topic, but one of the things we want to ensure is we can have real, um, real candid, uh, conversations amongst the leadership team without necessarily creating <laughs> any other, uh, uh, you know, byproduct turbulence, sure. with, with the greater, the, the greater team. So I think it's, it's challenging each other, right? Um, you know, and not in a accusatory or trying to make somebody, you know, <laughs> feel inadequate way. It's, Hey, we're all really on the same team. You know, as, as my, my boss, our CEO says, you know, at the end of the day, we all wear the same Jersey, right? I mean, it's not as if we're, you know, if somebody wins and somebody loses, it doesn't mean we're, we're all winning. Um, and so I think it's, it's really trying to instill the sense of alignment and, um, you know, not being afraid to say, Hey, this, I tried this and it failed. And here's why mm. failed. Here's how I'm going to do something differently, uh, next quarter, but also then getting hopefully some real authentic and, and, uh, direct feedback from your, your colleagues, uh, because, uh, we don't realize it, but we all have blind spots. Yeah. Yeah. We don't see. And, 
you know, having somebody else who might be able to point that out to you is, uh, is great. You know, somebody has said, you know, um, you know, feedback is a gift and sometimes, uh, a natural inclination is to bristle a little bit at, at feedback, right. yeah. but, um, being able to embrace it's really important. How do you, how do you get all your business areas to work together as a team versus, you know, the silos forming? How do you guys? Yeah, I, 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 I think we do a, a better than average job of it, given that I've, I've, I've been around the Valley for a while. I've seen a, a lot of different uh, approaches. So, but I wouldn't say it's perfect, right? I think we're, we have to constantly be uh, diligent looking for the emergence of silos, especially when you're growing so quickly and there's a lot of pressure every quarter to, you know, to hit those objectives. And, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, we're actually having a, a conversation almost real time about how to set up our objectives as we look to 2020 in a way that ensures we're not pitting one against the other, one function, one department against the other. And obviously you never do that intentionally. No, Uh, but it it happens. Yeah. And and I think it's just a matter of of being willing to call it out. Uh, You know, I've been around areas or or, or companies oftentimes when you're public that you have to hit the quarterly number at all costs. Yeah, Yeah. And, part of the benefit of being private is you can say, wait a second, I know this was the number we were supposed to hit, but if we hit it, it's a little bit of sure we can, we can jam something through and hit a sales number or hit a deployment number or whatever the, 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 the metric in question might be. But is that really setting us up for sustainable, uh, uh, meaningful growth going forward? Mm-hmm. No, it's like we're all mature leaders and we can say, you know what, if we don't hit that, this target this quarter, we're not thrilled about it, but we're doing it for a reason, which means, which is that it's going to give us a higher probability of winning over the long term. So I think being being willing to to have those conversations, um, not 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 being too embarrassed to say, "Hey, I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to deliver what I said. I'm going to deliver it this quarter." But here's the plan to make it better, and I think it's best for us as a company if we if we stay on that track. And I think that willingness helps to uh, I don't know helps helps to prevent a situation where you're just going to do something regardless if it's truly the best long-term decision which oftentimes can create tension obviously between um, between two departments or or, or or two functional areas no it can for sure how did you how did you select ripple how did you get involved with them yeah so you know, I've been, in, as we talked about earlier, I've been in tech for, for a long time, always on the business side, but, but been in tech for well over 20 years. And I knew nothing about cross-border payments, to, you know, truth be told. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the initial, initial uh, awareness of ritual, <laughs> initial awareness of Ripple uh, really comes from uh, the guy who's currently our CEO, a guy named Brad Garlinghouse. And Brad and I had, had worked together in companies over the past 15 years on and off. So he and I had a strong relationship and he was here at Ripple for a couple of years and was transitioning from being the company's COO to becoming the CEO. And he gave me a call and said, Hey, Eric, uh, as a result of this transition, I'm going to have to spend my time and days and hours focused on a different set of things. And I need somebody who can help me make sure that, uh, you know, as we, uh, as we scale, somebody's, making sure the trains are running on time and thinking about how we scale efficiently. And at first I was like, yeah, but I don't know anything about cross-border payments and et cetera, et cetera. But um, I've been following the space, obviously this was 2016. So 
blockchain wasn't quite off the charts in terms of awareness and hype, but sure. it was clear to me that there was something, something truly special happening with this technology. And having known Brad from past lives, I'd, I'd, I'd followed Ripple and, and, and thought they were on something pretty compelling. So that was the initial, um, the initial touch point. So it was hard enough for me. I, I've owned a lot of uh, Ethereum over the years and um, Bitcoin for the last five or probably five or six years. Um, you went through the massive upswing with XRP and then the complete decimation of the entire industry. Um, and they're coming back again. But how did you manage people and their emotions and their psyche through that, even though you're not the same company, but there's like that you're holding a lot of that digital asset. Was there, how did you manage people through that? Yeah. And I, I, I and it's, it's absolutely a fair point. It was pretty crazy. You know, two, two plus years ago is the, 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 the prices of digital assets were going through the roof and yep. came back down. Um, you know, I think we stay focused on our, our, our mission, which is solving this cross-border payments use case. Um, and certainly the value of XRP is an important factor for us. We're, we're a big champion of, of the digital asset. It, it serves a very specific purpose in, in our, our long-term product strategy. It, it's a far more efficient digital asset for a payments use case in terms of the, the settlement fees, the speed of, of um, settlement, the number of transactions you can do per second. So if you're looking to do payments and specifically cross-border payments, it's well-suited to address a liquidity challenge associated there. So we view it as a, 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 as a, a, a component of our broader solution. And, and I, I think what we really emphasize to the team is this is a, this is a long game. This isn't a, a, a game that we measure in days or weeks or months. It's really a matter of years. And, you know, just as a point of comparison, when I started at Ripple, the price of XRP was well under a penny. Um, you know, now it's 20, I don't know, somewhere between 25, 27 cents. So, roughly speaking, oh my God, like that sure. digital has gone up a ton. Now, compared to where it was in, you know, late or mid 2017, it's come down a lot, but it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah. And it's about looking at the long game and, and we measure our success not on the price of XRP, but on how much value we're delivering to these financial institutions. Right. And uh, that's largely a, a, a function of, are they, are they using our technology to move money around the world? And that curve is going up into the right really nicely. So it really is. That's what really gives us a lot of uh, energy and, and enthusiasm about the future. Yeah, I think your position really nicely on it. If you were to look back at your career the last um, 20 odd years, where do you think you've really focused your growth in terms of being a, a leader or a second in command? Yeah, I think um, it's a long time to think back on. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think I've prided myself in being a bit of a generalist, which I know doesn't always seem intuitive or like the best path, but I... I, I I've always invested the time to really understand all aspects of the business and be able to look at a problem from different angles. And as a result, as I engage with uh, my peers or with the CEO, I can often bring a, a slightly different or nuanced perspective to a conversation. And so I, I've, I've, I've sort of made a concerted effort to invest the time to do that. And I think it's, it's, it's paid off well for me. Um, you know, I may not be the deepest when it comes to marketing strategy or, uh, 
funding strategies, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, I can kind of see the whole picture. And I think some of that is just something I try to do often is, is, is also being a good listener, mm. uh, engaging people around the company, um, being really responsive and, and hopefully present so that you, you hear, you know, you, you hear certain things and you kind of sense patterns. Um, way back when, before Tech, I was a consultant. And a lot of that was just about looking for patterns, making sure that you're, you're being uh, diligent around um, what's going on and not you know, trying to minimize, using a term I used before, the blind spots, so that you can bring that perspective to the table. So, I, you know, I think it's, it's served me well. Um, and, uh, you know, the good thing is you never stop learning. So right. it, it's not something that you say, great, I'm done. Um, I'm as good as I'm going to get. There's always new challenges. I loved, I loved Ray Kroc from McDonald's quote. He said, when you're green, you're growing. When you're ripe, you're rotting. So <laughs> better not be done. So if you were, Eric, if you were to lean back to, you know, just graduating college, you've uh, just starting out in your business career, what word of advice would you give yourself that now you know to be true, but you wish you'd known back then? Um, wow. I think, I think enjoy the journey. Uh, back then I probably thought everything had to be so, so scripted, right? So it was going to play out and you were going to progress in your career and you were going to, and the reality is, and maybe it's somewhat a function of being in this part of the world in Silicon Valley and tech, it, part of the fun is just like, you don't know what's going to happen next. And, and, and I think early in my career, I probably was resistant to that trying to mm. force it and trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, predetermined outcomes. And I think some of the, the best experiences have been going into things where you really weren't sure exactly it was, how it was going to turn out. Not that you were just rolling the dice and didn't care, but you know, even as I look entering here at Ripple, again, I'm not a payments expert per se. Sure. And part of like, what in the hell are you doing? Like there's a lot of people who've been doing payments for 20 years and blah, blah. But I understand how to help scale tech companies in an efficient way in a kind of spot interesting growth opportunities and that's a skill that you know you can apply to different areas and it's just it's great learning from other people and you you add another dimension to hopefully what you bring to the next venture so i guess i guess just uh yeah enjoy the journey and and and, and don't try to get too uh hung up on what's supposed to be happening or what path you're supposed to be uh uh, uh on um enjoy the ride yeah, exactly. Eric Van Miltenberg, the SVP for Global Operations for Ripple. Thanks very much for joining us today on the Second and Command podcast. Hey, you bet, Cameron. My pleasure. That was great. Really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Enjoyed it. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.